If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hey, how you doing, everyone? Welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Uh, I am one of your three hosts. My name is Keith Giles. Um, let's see, I'm an author and you know, I do a lot of other things, you know, mow, mow the yard, uh, do windows, things like that, you know. But uh, hey, uh, I wanted to let you know, if you're listening to the podcast, by the way, um, and it seems like you might be, because here you are. Um, this is our... Ah, within, the first, within the first minute, you got tromboned. Son. That must be a record. Hey, so this is our final episode in the Culture War series. I'm so sorry. I know you've been loving it. Uh, this is our final episode in this series. but But... Hey, next time we're going to start a brand new series and the new series we're going to start uh, will be Let's Get Metaphysical. Let's Get Metaphysical. Physical. Okay, and um, just so you know, coming up, we have interviewed the, uh, the creator of uh, this awesome show on Netflix called Messiah, Michael Petroni. It was an amazing interview. We cannot wait to share it with you. And um, some of the things we'll talk about in this new series, Let's Get Metaphysical, will be topics like reincarnation and angels and demons and uh, miracles and things like that, because I know these are things people have been asking us about for a long time, and we can't wait to talk about it. So mark your calendars. And it's probably a good time also to ask my co-hosts, who've been waiting so patiently, to introduce themselves. Jamal and Matt, say hi. Hi, friends. This is Jamal. Speaking of new series, Keith, I'm excited because I know this is when you you let the cat out of the bag about reincarnation because we know you've been I know you've been secretly hiding that belief. So well, you know, you have to listen to the episode to find out. Totally, totally. (laughs) But it's good to be back on the Here to Capier podcast. I'm the author of Living for a Living, and uh, yeah. So if you haven't picked up that book, you might want to get that. But it's it's really good to be back with you, and I will transition to our next host. Yeah, and that makes me Matthew DeStefano, author of five books, and now about to be a hip-hop artist. Well, I guess I am a hip-hop artist. I'm recording uh, my first album. I've heard some of it. Actually, you sent me a track today that was like flipping awesome, man. It was really good. I did. Super excited about that and excited for, of course, another episode of The Heretic Happy Hour. But before we get into all the good stuff, Got to remind everyone that we are sponsored by Wild Foods. And their website can be found at wildfoods.co. And like I said last time, they are uh, putting out some great products from small batch farmers. I've been trying the Cocotropic Superfood Cocoa Drink Mix in my coffee, and it is keeping me super focused. Yeah. That's why I'm always on my game here at the Heretic Happy Hour, if you've noticed uh, lately. I've been especially on point, and that's thanks to these mushrooms that they got uh, in their in their Cocotropic Superfood. I'm, I'm convinced that that's what's going on. So that's cool. If you don't know the benefits of mushrooms, not those kind of mushrooms. Well, those two, but that's not what they're doing. You got to go to wildfoods.co, check out their Cocotropic Superfood Cocoa Drink Mix, check out all of their products. Yeah. And, 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 and if you use Herit- uh, our code, our, our special code just for our listeners, happy hour 12, that's the digits one, two, 
happy hour 12. When you check out, you are going to get 12% off your order. That's the one too. That's what it stands for. 12% off. So if you use that promo code, when you buy those, uh, those products, you're going to get 12% off. Wow. So who doesn't want discounts? Who doesn't want good products? Who doesn't want to feel better? I know you all do. I know I do. So make sure you do that. Check it out today. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to also say that if, <clears throat> if you're listening to this podcast and you're a first time listener, this is your first episode. Well, I have some good news for you. We actually have a hotline. Um, so this is the, you know, a lot of podcasts you listen to do not have a hotline, but we do. Mm-hmm. And the number is 240-343-7379. Again, it's 240-343-7379. And, uh, a bonus to this hotline is that you can, not only can you call it 24 seven, you can text it as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, the millennials like to text. That's what I hear. And the so kids these days, yeah, kids these days. Yes. Yeah. Kids love it. They love it. They love it. Um, you know, uh, so here we actually had a text come into the hotline. Imagine that. Uh, can we cue that up? Okay, here's, here's the text quote. Hello, heretics. I wanted to thank you for your work and all the insight it brings. I am a UU. I'm not sure what that means. Unitarian uh, a, Universalist, I think. Oh, yes. Okay, that's right. I am a U- Unitarian Universalist and have lately been interested in Christian history and theology. I have found the Christian literature literature ecosystem often bewildering, never sure about authors' agendas or scholarly grounding. I have I've found uh, I can always turn to you three and your guests for deep investigations of theological questions, and between your guests and sources you mention, references to other thinkers and similarly with similarly thoughtful approaches. Sorry. My only complaint is that my reading list has exploded. Since I began listening, Keith, that's Keith's fault. And I doubt I'll ever be able to read everything I want to on this topic in my lifetime. I have a question and a story for you. Number one, is there an annotated Bible translation you would recommend for digging into theological questions that turn on translations problem, translation problems? Number two, a while back, you asked for funny Bible stories for your contest, and I just had to share this one with you. When my uncle was four, his Sunday school teacher instructed the kids to draw a picture of God driving Adam and Eve from the garden. The son of a car dealer, my uncle produced a detailed crayon drawing of a huge black car speeding through a garden (laughs) driven by a man with a long white beard with a man and a woman in the back seat. Sadly, some upstanding member of the congregation agreed with the teacher that the drawing was brilliant and took it from the church bulletin board. So it's no longer in the fam in the family of note. My uncle grew up to become a mechanic. Thanks again, guys, for all you do. Katie R. Madison, Wisconsin. Mm. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> that was a very long, but very uh, entertaining and, uh, and wonderful text. Thank you. Yeah. That's, a, that's a long text. Ooh, I, I don't even know how, it. I don't even know how you send a text <laughs> that long. Well, I, love yeah, that story. I love that story. Cause don't you just love how kids think? Oh yeah, totally. Just so literally, like I remember hearing some terminology about Jesus living in our hearts, you know, when I was a little kid and I literally was like, but my heart, the ventricles, like, is he in all the ventricles? Like it's separate. (laughs) How do you fit in there? Like, how does he get in there? So literal. 
It's all that blood going through all the time. How does he sleep at night? I don't understand. Can, I mean, what is that like? You know, there was a movie I watched when I was a kid about like people being inside the human body and like a little ship and they would like go through the blood vessels and they, yeah, yeah. Animals. You remember that? It was like animals. Fantastic Voyage, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's an old movie, but man, I would, I, I thought about that. Like if we traveled, if they traveled to the heart, they'd find Jesus like there somewhere. Just mm. chilling in there, Just smoking it, smoking a J. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, uh, Katie asked us a question, if you can remember that far back. Um, She said something about asking if there was an annotated Bible translation that we would recommend for digging into theological questions that turn on translation problems. Hmm. Uh, Well, well, first off, the Bible doesn't exist, so no. True. And and it's hard to recommend a Bible when we don't, you know, believe it's real, and you probably shouldn't be reading it in the first place. It's dangerous. But... um, (laughs) But no, I get this question all the time. Seriously, someone asked me this t- this morning. Someone emailed me and asked me a very similar question about like uh, what Bible translations that I recommend. Um, I don't I don't know of any specifically that that I think accurately deal with a lot of these really bad uh, translation problems that most English translations suffer from. Uh, I mean, I've I've written a lot to kind of like point out the ones that I've come across, but I've I, as far as I know, there isn't a Bible translation in English that 100% eliminates those. I love David Bentley Hart's New Testament translation. I think he deals with most of the ones in the New Testament. Um, But I don't know of any, like a complete Bible translation that really does a complete and thorough job. I don't know, Matt, do you know of any? Or Jamal, do you know anything? Uh, Well, no, I don't. I mean, I think there are some that wrestle with this kind of stuff. I'm not sure which one's better or worse like i i don't i don't really read the bible anymore and i don't <gasps> i don't care about like th- these so- scholarly questions any longer and <laughs> i've gotten so- I've-, <laughs> I've moved so far past that i don't i don't think about these things any longer so i i don't know i'm sorry i i was going to mention david bentley hart but you did and that's only the new testament so if you're looking for the entire, the Bible, yeah. Uh, yeah, all 66 books because we're good Protestants. Um, like, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Sorry, Katie from, from Madison. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 t- I tend to think that the Bible is severely overrated. So, and I don't, I don't think it was a good idea back in the fourth century when Constantine said, hey, guys, let me, let me get everybody together, get everybody to kind of coalesce around a set of documents. I don't think that was a good idea historically. So I'm not one to recommend the Bible. However, when it comes to, and again, Jesus never recommended us to read the Bible. So I don't, I don't, um, I think it's overrated. However, um, I get it. I get some, I love some of the writings that are included in that, in that collection. And um, so I I think um, there was a, a a translation a while back called the mirror translation. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that I that I think I uh, is really good. I actually think from what I've seen, it's it, it the, the approach they take is you know again it's not like you know I, it, you know it's 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 written from a perspective that um, and again not every it's not exhaustive. I don't think it's the entire New Testament. It's not the Old Testament. Right. But, I think it's um, missing some books. Yeah, it's not complete books. yet. It's more of an interpretation too. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's more of an it interpretation. Yeah. But I think it's a it's. I think it's written from. I think the folks who who worked on it um, are scholars and uh, really 
came from a very educated place and know the original languages or really looked into them. Um, and so it's not a shoddy job. It's a, it's a really good, but it's, it's written from a perspective, you know, so it's, I like it and I, I would recommend that if I, if, if, if someone was going to read it. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. There you go. All right. I think, I think we, uh, we covered that. I, at least I hope. I, hope I, so. I, I would just say one, one uh, sort of caveat thing uh, or not a caveat, but it's a, a, another uh, recommendation. If you're curious about the Old Testament, um, a book that has really, really helped me in the way I approach the Old Testament is, a, an, I think, an excellent book uh, by a guy named Richard Elliott Friedman. It's called Who Wrote the Bible? Uh, it's, it's a scholarly book, but by the way, but, but it's, but it's written like a, almost like a mystery novel. It's like, I'm telling, I'm telling you, it's so well-written. Um, and it's phenomenal. I mean, I, I recommended it to many people. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a great one to look at if you're curious about how to kind of how to approach and understand the old Testament scriptures. Totally. And also I forgot to mention this, but Rob Bell has a great resource, um, called, uh, what is the Bible? Yeah, yeah no, no, that is a good one. Yeah, that 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 could be really helpful, and I would I totally yeah. would agree with where he's coming from with that. Yeah, and Peter Enns too, friend of the show. Oh, yeah. He has yeah. he has uh, what's his book called? I can't remember. He's got a book on the uh, on the Bible. No, you put but, it in his uh, yeah, book. Just, I just, no. yeah, just look up Peter Enns. You'll find it. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah so right, let's well, get let's uh let's get into the next segment, right? Let's do this thing. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I'm Josh Rogie, and I am a heretic. Hey, what's up? (laughs) Hey, man. Welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. Hey, so Josh, um, we always have to start off by asking, why in the world would anybody think that you are a heretic? God, there's probably a hundred reasons why. Let's see here. Um, Well, I don't believe that the Bible is inerrant. I don't believe in eternal conscious torment. I'm gay affirming. I occasionally say the fuck word. There's that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think probably uh, the the latest reason to add to the list would be that I've I've come to find more value in telling people my story rather than evangelizing with the gospel. I, at least for me, I, um, I find that I connect more with people by telling them my own lived experiences and the ways that Christianity is, you know, interwoven rather than focusing on the gospel story itself. Uh, so because of that, I also don't really put any energy into trying to get people to make a so-called decision or anything along those lines. So yeah, uh, dealer's choice there, Keith. <laughs> wow. Yeah. you got, um, I, th- I think that's uh, basically a full house. That's a good job there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like that a lot. So, um, you also just recently kind of um, sat down and, and told your story. You talk about, you know, you, you rather tell your story than uh, share the gospel or evangelize. And so you actually told your story uh, in the form of writing a book uh, about some of your experiences. And tell us about that. What was that like? Why did you feel the need to write the book? Yeah. So um, my book is called Shame and Unconventional Memoir. It just came out February 11th. And uh, this book is, um, I, I guess, the biggest reason ultimately that I ended up writing it was I just wanted to be able to tell people that whatever you've experienced, whatever shame has been put on you, or um, you know maybe mistakes that you've made that have created your own shame cycle, uh, that you're not alone. That you know other people have had these experiences, 
And I'm going to demonstrate that by starting out introducing myself and telling you all of the shame, embarrassment, and guilt that I've uh, had heaped on me over the years. Mm. Wow. So what, um, why, uh, why did you feel that you needed to start with shame? I mean, what, why was that your starting point or why did you feel like that was such an important uh, topic to address? Yeah. Um, originally, when I was putting this project together, I actually didn't have that as the, the starting point for me. The original purpose, I guess, was that um, I was just very tired of what I would call image management that I was seeing a lot by especially leaders in the church. Um, I was tired of you know listening to sermons and hearing pastors tell me about the, the sins that they had um, I guess, made mistakes through or whatever. And there's examples were always really bullshit examples. They were telling me about how they stole a pack of gum when they were 10 years old. And I was like, or we could talk about real stuff that you're dealing with right now. Yeah. So um, originally it was just going to be maybe a blog or something like that. I I started doing some essays where I'm like, I want to talk about the things I've dealt with. And then I really came to the realization that uh, I think this is not unique to me, but the church system in general really um, pushes or, or at least the, the way it's designed, whether it's by accident or on purpose, it really puts shame onto people in so many different ways that they don't feel as if they can tell those realities. Mm. Wow, that's really good. That's really good. Well, um, Josh, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate being vulnerable. I think vulnerability is there's a lot of power in being vulnerable. Um, you know, just sharing your story and that kind of thing. What, what has been the, the reaction, like when you started to write or become more public about just, you know, opening your life up and letting people take a look at what that authenticity looks like? What, what did you notice from the Christian circles that you were in, from the church community that you were in? What, what did, what was kind of the the response to that? Yeah. Uh, God, I mean, for starters, the reaction within myself um, before I even had a chance to share it with other people, I didn't realize a lot of the things that were weighing on me. Uh, I ended up writing more about my childhood than I would have expected um, mm. as I kind of built the foundation to get to you know what I currently am living. Um, in terms of uh, the reaction from you know early readers and whatnot, it, it's been all positive. I, I've been thrilled because. I'll be honest, I was so anxious about so much of this. I guess some, I still am to some degree. The book uh, is, is in the very early stages when it comes to release and all of that. But I, I've honestly gotten nothing but positive feedback from everybody from, um, you know, of course, my wife read very early drafts. I just had my parents read it just um, a little over a month ago. And it really, in a lot of ways, um, acted as a, a bridge for us. We We had some difficulties talking about um, the ways in which we've disagreed and stuff. And it really built a bridge there. And then with, with friends and even new friends that I didn't really know before they had read the book, it, it's been nothing but positive feedback of that's awesome. Thank you for being so vulnerable. And here is the chapter that hit home the most for me, which has been outstanding as well. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I, I have a question uh, for you. I love what you're saying. Um, you talked about, uh, just mentioned something about your childhood, like, you know, that that's something that um, uh, that jumped out to you in your process as you mm-hmm. were writing and, you know, unpacking your story. And I totally re- resonate with that. I mean, a lot of the work that I do, I mean, I'm in the coaching 
business. So uh, when I'm working with clients, I mean, it's all, it's fascinating to discover the programming that we hmm. received from an early age because that, that shapes how we look at the world, shapes how we relate to God, to people, all those things. And so like unpacking that programming is so key. So a question for you would be hmm. what, what, um, if you could like, specify like was there something specific about your the story or the way you were taught to look at the world through that you had to really what was your unpacking or deconstruction process like from your early programming if i could put it that way yeah um it's kind of messy to be honest i i have a couple different thoughts popping in my head that's a great question mm-hmm. um i i think on the one hand one thing that comes to mind is i was bullied pretty extensively as a kid especially in like maybe about fifth grade through seventh or eighth grade. Mm. And uh, there's several reasons for that. I, I was smaller for my age. I've always been a smaller guy. Um, I originally grew up and was raised Mennonite until fourth grade and um, then went to a public school. And that's a huge transition. So I was, you know, I had a pretty different upbringing than my peers at the time. And uh, all that to say, it, it was definitely not like, um, just roughhousing. It was, it was full on bullying for sure. And I, uh, I guess that, you know, once I got into high school and it was all behind me and then beyond that into my twenties, I thought that, uh, just because it was physically behind me that I didn't really need to think about it anymore. And, uh, it, it really came up through the process of writing this book that that's probably where a lot of my anxieties and stuff have come from and my nervous habits chewing my fingernails and stuff like this. Uh, so it really brought me, it circled me back around to something that I thought I could probably ignore the rest of my life and wasn't being realistic about. Hmm. Wow. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine who, um, speaks quite often on this topic of shame and, um, what I, what I have termed worm theology, this sort of like Hmm. what a wretch I am, what a, yeah. No, I'm not worthy and there's nothing good in me and all that kind of nonsense that frankly, the church reinforces over and over and over again, everything from hymns on Sunday morning and our worship songs that we sing to uh, the scriptures that we tend to emphasize and the sermons that we, that we hear. And even, and eventually even the stories we tell ourselves, the, the, we start mm-hmm. repeating these things again about ourselves. We start believing it about ourselves. Um, one of the things that my friend had said uh, it, I frankly think it's a quote from Brene Brown, but it's something like along the lines of uh, that shame uh, dies in the light or that it thrives mm. in the darkness. And so that because of that, um, you know, we, we can't hold these things. We can't keep them in the dark. We, the things that we feel shame about, we have to tell those stories. We have to bring it out into the light. And when we do, it exposes it and kills it and, and it loses its power. And I think that's the that's the thought behind the, the phrase or the statement. I'm curious if you felt the same way telling your story. Do you feel like telling your story was sort of a way to escape the power of shame? Or do you agree with that idea? Yeah, I completely agree with that concept. Um, I didn't I wasn't aware of her exact quote when I started this whole thing, but that is exactly the logic I had that um, you know, it did it, it actually came from, for me, uh, I can't remember the passage now, but Paul talks about, you know, bringing your sin to the light. And, and though I have probably a different definition than what I've traditionally had nowadays for sin, I basically equated that as shame. And so I, I 
very much believe in that process of like, hey, as long as you allow it to be inside of you and be isolated where you're the only one dealing with it, it it's just not going to go anywhere. Many times it may even, you know, grow in a sense and become uh, a more, I, I guess for lack of a better term, it'll become, you know, more of a burden than what it already was. Um, mm. So yeah, th- this very much started out as uh, I'm just going to bring my stuff to the light and I'm hopeful. And I, I think that I do succeed at this, that by modeling it, it'll um, give people the space and freedom to feel like they can uh, bring their own shit to the light too, so that they're not uh, carrying that own burden internally as well. Yeah, that's really good. Really good, Josh. You know, I've, I heard it put this way that, um, when you carry something like, so for example, let's say, you know, most, especially in the Christian world, we're taught to, you know, you know, the things that are shameful and parts of our being that, that we can't really expose because of, of fear of, you know, judgment and all that kind of thing that, but really what happens is we, we're so, uh, we really internalize that message to the point that we're not even conscious of our own we're not, we're not even aware of it. So it's like, it's there and it's affecting us and we're trying to suppress it and keep it hidden, but we're not aware. So whatever you bring your own awareness into your own awareness is, is like, it's like shining light onto it. It's like exposing mm-hmm. it in within your being, not exposed for like ridicule or shame. Like you, you were taught, you know, like right. I totally get that. Um, but like bringing it into your awareness. And then once it's in your awareness, yeah, it's like Brene Brown is saying, you know, it's, you're totally, it's it's bringing light into it. It's kind of I have this picture of like Superman looking at something with X-ray vision. It's like just <laughs> infuses it into light, right? Um, and then it's like then you realize once that shame is gone, as you're bringing light, then as far as just being authentic, it's just part of it's just a story. It's not it's not good or bad, you know. Right. Which I think is awesome. My question, I guess, would be for you as okay, you've written this book, which I know probably wasn't. Obviously, I know writing a book is 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 a feat, and putting it out there in the world is probably a whole nother level. Uh, I'm sure you're feeling lots of emotions about that. Um, um, just ne- it's another le- level of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. But what what is your hope when you like lean into your heart and you picture somebody reading your book? What is your heart or hope that they would walk away with from reading that book? What do you want them to take take into the world or take into their own life from your book? Yeah. Um- I, I definitely hope that more than anything, they can just know that they're not alone with whatever they've experienced. I talk about the full scope of my story and you know try to hit anything that would have had an impact on me um, without really holding anything back. And, and that will probably make some people uncomfortable. I, I try to be upfront about that as well. Like, hey, we're going to talk about purity culture in very specific terms. I'm going to talk about dealing with masturbation. I've talk about bullying. We're going to talk about infertility that my wife and I have experienced over the last several years. And uh, the the hope through that is, and, and I think that this does hold up that most likely you have had something that aligns with at least one or two of these things. And even if you haven't, the principles are still there. You'll be able to see how this has impacted me to again, uh, get to the point where you, the reader can say, okay, I definitely can relate to this part. I've had the same experience or I've had a, a similar experience where I can now know that I'm not alone, even though I haven't told anybody about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was really thankful because some of my uh, endorsements, they use language of like, I felt like I've known Josh for years and I, I was like, they got it. That's perfect. And I hope that all of my readers feel that way, that I want you to 
feel comfortable with me, even if I haven't ever talked to you before, so that uh, when you're weighing these own things in your own spirit, that you can say, God, I, I can I can actually talk about this because Josh talked about it. Hmm. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, Josh, um, what would you say to someone listening to us right now and they have struggled with shame uh, maybe their whole life or, or certainly in the church? And um, I mean, obviously, other than reading your amazing book, <laughs> how <laughs> could, how, what, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody uh, who was in that place if they said, you know, if they were struggling with shame? Um, they really especially felt it coming from uh, other Christians or, you know, from their church or their parents or, you know, from that kind of a place. What are some keys or things you would say to them? How can they, how could, how could we help them escape the power of shame? Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is, is that in order to get to the life that is going to be best for you and the life that God really has for you, you're not, you, you can't be weighed by this shame. You can't be weighed down by it. it it's going to be holding you back from the life that you have. And, and really, like I said, from the life that God wants for you. I, I used to believe, and I don't necessarily anymore, that God has like a specific plan for everybody. I don't really like that language anymore, but I still think the the concept holds up that within Christianity, within the teachings of Jesus, there is a certain type of life that that we're all meant to live. And shame is going to hold you back from getting to that place that you're going to feel the most alive and the most like yourself in Christ. Um, from there, it, there's no doubt that um, many religious circles, again, whether it's by design or more by implication, uh, you know, no doubt it, they do place shame on you that the model in many ways, like you said, Keith, with the worm theology is there to try to make you feel uh, broken. And mm -hmm. I definitely, um, I would say that there is something to that in the sense that Christ does have something better for us, but you're, you're not garbage. You're not trash. You're not broken to a point where you can't be your full self. Um, so if, if you're in a system where the theology is along those lines, um, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you you need to leave your church, but it may be worth considering where mm -hmm. those theologies are false. Right. Well, I'll go ahead and tell people you should leave your church if it's that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I mean, because uh, I, I would say that, I mean, if I was talking to somebody, and I, I think I have probably said that to, to people, if you're in yeah. a church, if you're in any kind of a church, um, whether that's uh, you know house church or traditional church or whatever that kind of church that you're in, if it's a, if it's a place that, that emphasizes um, performance. Uh, if it, like you said, it sort of emphasizes your brokenness. If it creates a dependency upon uh, the pastor or their theology, um, you know what I mean. Uh, any of those things, yeah. Those those are just signs of a toxic situation. Yeah, where I don't absolutely. care how many great friends you have there. I don't care if your parents go there and have gone there their whole life or anything like that. Like. You owe it to yourself for your own health and safety and spiritual well-being to run, run, run as fast as you can away from that kind of a situation. Because I think until you get disconnected from that kind of a, a you know, a system, you really have no hope of truly reaching a place where you can be healthy and whole. You know, uh, so yeah, I, I, I definitely think. That's probably a very, very important thing. 
uh, yeah, to do. Totally, totally. And the the only, the only issue with that is that Christianity is shame is to Christianity as wetness is to water. And the reason for that <laughs> is because the belief in original sin mm. that is rooted. I mean, it, I mean, it for the almost the the breadth of Christian history has been a, a foundational doctrine of Christianity, and this goes back to the Roman Catholic days. Obviously, the Protestant Reformation. You know, it's like it's like it's like you know the the uh, doctrine of original sin on crack. Mm-hmm. It's they they mm-hmm. they not only did not reject it, they emphasized it. So it's a it's a real challenge I have found in the Christian religion. Yeah, to actually have a correct identity because of that very it's it is. And I honestly, my, you know, I had to, you know, I, I'm sure you're addressing that in your book and, you know, but that is a huge reason that Christians are just, you know, even though we know on one end, our intellectual mind says, okay, it's not okay to, you know, it's, it's wrong. Shame doesn't help us, but it just almost like you can't escape it because of these ingrained beliefs. You know, it's really, yeah. really a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I wanted to, let me just ask you, uh, a question. There's something that was on my mind earlier. Something you had said. Um, yeah. You talked about s- your ideas about sin uh, had changed. Um, do you mind? Do you do you have a do you have a way to define sin now? Like for you, like for you, what? How would you define sin? What do you think that is? Uh, that's a tough one for me because it's kind of a nebulous thought. I guess. Um, I okay. So I, I think it's all tied together with all the other theologies that I've had that have been ever growing. And I'll readily admit that I am more comfortable saying I don't have this figured out rather than uh, mm-hmm. trying to talk from a place of authority. Uh, but I'll say that uh, I very much lean towards like a universalism perspective. So with that being said, I definitely don't believe sin is anything that can keep us from God. We'll yep. start there. Yep. Um, for a, a long time, I was kind of operating from the perspective of maybe sin would be, um, I guess, anything that keeps us from from the life we want to live, I guess, or from our community, from living like a a whole and complete life. At at this point, I would honestly say sin is basically not even in my vocabulary. It's something I don't ever think about uh, other than, you know, conversations like this, where we have this word that we're all kind of familiar with. So it's a good uh, base, uh, I don't know, a good point that we can track on or whatever. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, but at this point, being that I don't believe that there's anything I can do that would be greater than the overwhelming grace that God can provide. It, it's something that I don't even really consider a factor in my theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah then I, I, I shift. Oh, go ahead, Keith. No, no, you go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I shift that from, you know, if I don't really think sin is a thing in and of itself, then we start to break down the things like the shame, the embarrassment and the guilt that has nothing to do with our eternal status or our status in relation to God and really just has to do with our understanding of ourselves and, and how we can get to the the fullest life that we have available to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Well, Joshua, wanted to wanted to ask you, um, like I know you're you're active on social media. Where if somebody's tracking along and they want to get get a copy of your book, um, how can they do that and how can people get in touch with you and, and communicate? Uh, with you for perfect yeah in, in terms of the um book itself it comes out or it's available on amazon excuse me uh, it came out february 11th on amazon you got the physical copy the kindle version and so on uh you can find me facebook.com forward slash josh rogi writer 
W-R-I-T-E-R there. And uh, I would love for you to, to follow me there and message me if you want. I, especially through this process, I've realized that um, there still is, of course, uh, an important component to vulnerability is, is knowing when you can do it in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm thankful that I had that through this process between my wife, my family, and my friends. And I want to be realistic and recognize that not everybody does. So if you need anything along those lines, you can message me as well. And, and I always try to, to, you know, respond as quickly as I can. I would love to have any conversations along those lines as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, and you have a podcast as well, right? Did you mention that? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up there. Uh, so I also co-host the Harbor podcast. It's the Harbor with a period after the, the last uh, letter there. And uh, yeah, my buddy Jeff and I um, host it and actually... Um, I owe a lot to him for uh, encouraging me to really push forward with this book as well. I gave him one of the earliest drafts and he really encouraged me to reach out to choir to to get this in the hands of a publisher when my anxieties may not have allowed me to do it without <laughs> that encouragement. So yeah. yeah, definitely come check us out there as well if you want to continue conversations like this. Oh, that's awesome. Sounds yeah. Good. Josh, thank you so much. It's been our honor to uh, have you as our heretic of the week. Um, Man, God bless you on your book. I hope it I hope it reaches the right people. And, um, you know, I hope we can uh, talk again soon. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. Thanks. Sure. All right. Wow. Well, thanks, Josh, uh, so much for being our Heretic of the Week. Um, excited about your new book. And um, thank you for kind of helping us kick off our topic for this episode, which um, is all about shame and guilt. So here's the thing. I don't really, I don't know if I have much to say on this topic because I, I have no shame. You, you don't. You have no shame. Yeah. Um, I would just say, look, shame, it's bad. Don't do it. And, um, you know, just stop it. So there you go. What do you guys think about it? Okay, but how? But how? Because uh, we, we, we're all, we're, we all come from a Christian, Christian background and shame is what we do. Right. Well, you know, and guilt, guilt is what we do yeah, to be serious, to be more serious. I, you know what, for me, um, I actually do care a lot about this topic. I'm just being silly. Uh, I like, I really love, uh, I'm not going to be shy about it. I really love Brene Brown. I think she, uh, is amazing. Uh, I've, I've read a lot of her books. I've listened to a lot of her, uh, lectures and stuff. Uh, and interviews with her, I think she, and she's, she's a researcher. So she's done a lot of actual, we're talking research on this for years, um, on the issue of shame, uh, and guilt and vulnerability. And, um, so I think I, I probably would take a lot of what I would say on this topic from what I've learned from her. Um, and, and this idea that, well, I guess to start off, I mean, shame is not the same as guilt. Um, you know, shame Shame is a deeper thing. Shame is like saying I'm a bad person, whereas guilt is just saying I did something bad. Uh, and and anyone and everyone, that's sort of a healthy way to say, you know, when you when you make a mistake, to just own it and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, I apologize, I did something that's bad. And that's vulnerability and that's honesty and transparency, and that's good and healthy and healing. Shame is very different. Shame is saying, um, yes, I did something wrong, but it's because I'm at in my core, I am a bad person. And um, it's focusing on yourself, not on your behaviors. Um, and and the, here's the thing: like one thing that Brene Brown has has shown in her research is that um, shame is tied, 
there's a direct correlation between uh, addiction, depression, um, violent, you know, aggression, um, suicide, bullying, eating disorders, and all these kind of horrible things. They're directly tied to shame. And, mm. But guilt is the opposite. Uh, guilt doesn't map to any of those things because guilt is owning the fact that I made a mistake, but I can learn from my mistake and I can, you know, and I'm not a bad person. I just made a mistake and, I, and I'm, I'm committed to uh, making it right again, right? So shame and guilt are not the same thing. And shame is something that um, you're right. Christianity, unfortunately, a lot of people in Christianity uh, leverage shame and fear uh, as a way to manipulate and control people. And um, it definitely is something you should run from when you hear people uh, using those kinds of tactics and those that kind of language. Yeah. Jamal, you probably deal with a lot of this in uh, your coaching work that you do, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It does come up for sure. You know, especially when you recognize areas where, you know, maybe, you know, I think, I think vulnerability is a scary thing. Yeah. Especially I've, I've discovered that vulnerability is especially difficult um, for men. And so I think, you know, whereas women tend to, I know that's a stereotype, but women tend to, um, be more comfortable with feeling their emotions and, but men tend to vulnerability just feels a little unsafe. And I don't mean by vulnerability, like just an open book. I mean, vulnerability in the sense of like being able to acknowledge when you're hurting or when Mm -hmm. things are bothering you. Yes. And I think that what I have discovered in my work is that there's, there's a lot, there's a sense of, um, there's a lot of shame over that, you know, and, um, that's a, that'll, that'll, that'll keep you, that's a perspective, but it does keep you stuck, you know? And, um, and that's, that's the guilt is something different, I think, than shame, obviously, like you guys are talking about. So, um, Keith, I know you mentioned that. So it's, um, I think guilt can have, like, actually can have a, there's can be a positive element to it if it's looked at in the right way. So, But yeah, shame's a big, it's a big deal. You know, it feels it, it's, it's an assessment that we're something's wrong with us or that we're not in the right place at the right time. And we should be further along than we are. That's a big, big stumbling block in the work I do. People say, I can't believe this is still affecting me. I've done all this work and I'm, I'm being affected and it all means all this. And so, yeah, there's a story behind it for sure. Do you think a lot of it um, kind of comes back to this idea that at our core as human beings we are filthy Mm. do you think a lot of it plays in in that that sort of augustinian original sin uh nonsense that Mm. at the at our true essence that we are just wretched wretched worms um yeah total depravity and and, and no matter and no yeah no matter what we do we we can never we can never do right so Every time we stumble, every time we kind of fuck things up, anytime we think the wrong thoughts, it comes back, well, that's just the way I am. This is just who I am right. at my core. Right. And so it's just piled on and piled on and piled on. And we can never get out from under the rubble. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course. I mean, we gosh, we've talked about this a, a lot. I mean, this is one of the most toxic things about uh Christianity, and it's it's something that's been going on for a very long time. Yeah, we can go back to Augustine. We can certainly go to um, Calvinism and and this uh, this idea of total depravity, but there's nothing good in me, and and what I have called worm theology, which um, you know this whole idea of what a wretch I am, and 
I you know I uh, there's nothing good in me. All my thoughts are evil. Um, and just yeah, just the, that sort of inner monologue that that we um, that we've accepted it. We continued that little voice in our head. And the scary thing is, is that we think that voice is God. We tell we, because people have told us this, right? We think that God is the one in our head telling us. Oh, you're such a loser. Oh, you're, you know, I can't believe you did that. You're so filthy. You're such a, such a sinner, you know? Um, and that really, it breaks my heart. It makes me angry because I don't think this is, this isn't the gospel. This isn't what Jesus came out telling us. This isn't what, um, the original idea was. He wasn't walking around telling everyone what losers and worms and failures they were. It was actually good news, um, about how loved we are and how accepted we are and that we have, you know, that God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us, but reconciling the world to himself. And like, these are the things that we should be focused on. Unfortunately, uh, it's just a little too tempting. It's too easy. Um, I had someone tell me this. I was just in LA last week and teaching that this, uh, this thing and this guy challenged me because I, I was talking about this love of God and all about Jesus. And they actually raised his hand and, and interrupted me and said, um, you're talking too much about Jesus. We're talking too much about the love of God um, and wanted me to, you know, balance it out with more about fear and wrath and, and uh, guilt and shame. I'm like, geez, man, we just can't, we can't seem to escape this. It's, it's very sad. It is very sad. It's, I think it's one of the uh, thing that things that plagues the church more than anything. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I think when it comes to, uh, when it comes to like the sense of guilt um, well, you know, the, the idea of guilt, I think can have a positive trajectory, you know, yeah. um, obviously when it's not, um, when it's not used against us, but a lot of times I remember, um, I'm not talking about guilt in the sense of like, again, I want to, I want to most guilt the way it's used in religious circles is not positive. Um, well, I, think but I remember the shame, don't you think? I mean, I think I would call that shame. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. I remember the days of like coming out of church services and, um, you know, there would be a common question, at least in the circles I was in, people would say, well, how was church today? I'm like, it was so good, man. So good. I was so convicted. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys did that, but like, I totally remember that people were like, yeah, man, it was, dude, he was like on fire today. I was so convicted. I've, yeah. I was so convicted. The Holy spirit was so convicted. Yeah, he, kicked, like, he kicked my Wait. butt. He kicked my butt spiritually. Kicked my, and, and yeah. it was almost like it felt, they were like, yeah, it was good. I felt convicted. I'm like, it's like when people go to the gym, like, how was, how was the workout? Dude, I am so, I killed it. I'm so sore. Yeah. And it's, it was almost like there was, <laughs> like, there was this, this, this sense of like, if it feels bad, it's really good. Right. And I think we're, we're kind of a, when I say we, it's a human condition. It's weird how this works when you have a belief. And, and it it may not be a belief even we even like. Mm-hmm. Like for example, I think people are afraid that if people knew who they really were, that they would be they would people would find out that they were bad or they were there was something wrong with them. And so, it, I think we have this belief about ourselves that um, you know unconsciously there's this belief that maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I don't measure up, maybe I'm not, maybe there is something wrong with me. Yeah, so what happens is yeah. we get to this. Yeah, we have this belief and then there's some, when we find out evidence for that in some weird way, it feels like, yeah, that's right. I'm so, I so need a savior. 
Yeah, so need a savior. I'm so I'm such a sinner. I need. I, thank you, Jesus. You know, and it's it's like it confirms the bad news. And I and I, I find it. You know, it's interesting. And I I have I hear this in the folks that are like talking about grace all the time too. They're like, yeah. Jesus had the, he was my substitute, man. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful because I just, you know, on my own, I'm nothing. It's like, what? Well, yeah. And then you also, <laughs> like, though, yeah, you also, though, are, are encouraged to, in that context, right? Um, beat yourself up because you are, you know, look, look how bad you are. You are so filthy. You are such a, a loser and such a, a horrible person. Look what you, your sin and your awfulness and your shame did to Jesus. And then that just makes you feel even worse, right? Instead of being like, oh, I shouldn't, (laughs) shouldn't this exchange be something positive? Like, why is this still bad? Yeah. One of my favorite hymns is, uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's, there's a line in it. Um, come thou, come thou fount, but it's, there's a line in it at the the bottom. It's like the bottom of the, of the, one of the stanzas. It's like, oh, to grace, how how great great a debtor. debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be, and it's like, oh, you're in debt. Yeah. That feels good. <laughs> I so thought you paid I'm, my debt. <laughs> I'm in debt to this grace. I'm in debt to this, you know. Thank you, Jesus, for doing. Like, I'm such a like. Thank you for doing. And I hear that language all the time, and it just it's nauseating to yeah, me. Yeah, it is. But it's. It, it, I don't think people understand when they're, when they're coming from. It is literally a shame complex, mm-hmm. you know. And it doesn't make grace look good. First of all, what is grace? You know, this idea of, you know undeserving favor of God. That's I think an idea of what people or unmerited. Yes. Which I would agree with in the sense of unmerited, like you didn't, you, you didn't perform for it, but to say it's undeserved. No, it's deserved. Of course it's deserved. What do you mean? If we to say I didn't deserve like, yes, you did. Yeah. We, we would never tell our child you didn't deserve, you don't deserve this bottle, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. But I give it to you. Because I'm so good. <laughs> sure you deserve it because you're alive and you're worthy. And I love you. Yeah. Or how about this from Revelation? No one was found worthy in heaven or on earth to open the seals except for one, the lamb that was slain before. This is the kind of bullshit that, you know, that's how it gets peddled. Yeah. But do you guys, do you guys think this, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of uh, the, the recent, uh, the Super Bowl halftime show. And a lot of people, and it didn't seem just to be Christians, were shaming J-Lo and Shakira for doing their thing on stage. Oh. And it seemed like this, this whole thing like transcended this Calvinistic, evangelical, cultural view of shame. And, and it, maybe it was just those people who were getting really upset, but it seemed like there was more of outrage that sort of went outside of those borders. So it seems like is it something innate within humanity to feel shame for, for certain things? Or is it this Christian culture that's sort of put out its tentacles into the bigger culture at large? Because it, it was really an odd thing to see that in this day and age, it wasn't just Christians who were getting upset at, at you know, well attra- attractive fit. 50 and 42 year old <laughs> Latin women, yeah. Latinas doing their thing. Like it seemed like a lot of people were upset by that and shaming them for doing that. Like, Oh, we got to protect the children. Yeah, Well, but, but right. Um, so I, it's kind of, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I have a perspective on this. Okay. okay this is a halftime show. Right. Um, I think, I think there's more going on. So I, I think obviously 
you can look at it and get in you know, and feel this, this shame kind of thing. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's healthy. I don't think people do a good job of under, see, I think people are bothered. And, and again, this could, this doesn't have to be religious. I mean, just people in general, sometimes things bother us and we don't know why they bother us. Mm-hmm. And so the easy thing to do is to, is to slip into scapegoating mo- mode mm-hmm. and start to like attack the, the, the external thing out there because we don't sure. like how it makes us feel. I do think it bothered lots of people. Um, and I don't think people understood why it bothered them. And I think there would, it would be good to understand. I think that's where I think uh, this could actually be a beneficial thing and say, and say, okay, you know why? Okay. Clearly you're not happy about the halftime show. So what's going on? Like, what's the story here? What what's going on here? And as I, I think to- I think it's jealousy, personally. Right? No, I think but, so. But, yeah. I, see, <laughs> see, but it, here's the thing, Jamal. What do you, Jamal? What do you think? Well, I I didn't like I didn't appreciate the show, the halftime show. No, I didn't. I didn't oh, appreciate I it, and I didn't appreciate the other one too. With what's Adam Levine or whatever. Like I. I I thought it was classless. I thought both of them were classless. But the only reason I say that, and I know that's controversial, people. This is my opinion. But here's the thing: the reason that bought now, I don't like. I'm not shaming them. Like that's their prerogative. They can do what they want. I don't even think it was immoral. I think they were doing it. I, but there was there's something in me that I found to be like, uh, I, it, something doesn't sit well with me about the sexualization of the human body like that if in that audience i just think it, it just seemed out of place and the reason for that and i it, it's the same thing it's the same reason like the super bowl there's like we decry the whole you know sex slavery thing going on and i agree with that like i think it's 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 a it's a tragedy that there's there's such a hyper sexualized exploitative uh, consciousness that are that's going on, especially it's all surrounded in the Super Bowl every year. It's like tremendous what goes on in the underbelly of this sex trafficking dilemma. And um, I, I don't know, there was just something about it that didn't sit well with me. And I don't want to react by judging it and, and and saying, okay, you guys are all bad. This is unhealthy. Like, how dare you do this? But I wanted to just pay attention to go, why didn't it sit well with me? Mm-hmm. And um, that's I think it, it just there's it's there was something about it to me that just felt uncomfortable and it didn't like encourage me when I saw it. And I just, I don't know. That's just how I felt to be completely honest. Yeah. Well, it didn't bother me. Um, I, um, I, I mean, honestly, I was looking for, I, mean, I didn't watch it live. I didn't watch the Super Bowl at all, but I heard so much, you know, crap about it. I actually went on YouTube and found, you know, the Super Bowl show and I watched it like, what the, what's the big deal. And, Frankly, I saw nothing on it that was any more or less uh, controversial than when I've watched the Grammys or American Idol or So You Think You Can Dance or any other program that ever, you know, in primetime television that has people dancing to music. Like it was like, yep, that's I've seen that before. I mean, I'm not a fan of it. It wasn't like, oh, I, I was awesome. But it also didn't offend me either. I just sort of like. No, that's not my kind of music. It's not my kind of entertainment. Like I'm not into, uh, you know, that's not what I listen to when I'm listening to music for fun. Um, but I didn't, so, but I didn't find it uh, offensive. In fact, like to me, um, I guess the way I looked at this whole thing was like, I feel like people were upset because J Lo and Shakira weren't ashamed, and like that's why they're angry. Mm-hmm. It's not. I didn't feel like so much that they wanted to put shame on J Lo and Shakira as much as that they're outraged that. 
that you could, that these women could do this with such confidence that they could do it and, and seem to be having so much fun doing it and, um, and, and, and showing their talent to sing and dance and perform this way in such a bold way and without any shame. I think that's what people are upset about. At least that's the way I perceived it was like people were outraged that they weren't ashamed. And I'm thinking, why do you think they should have shame at all? Um, well, see the outrage yeah. is the outrage is funny to me. It's interesting. Like why, why the outrage just like, look, I'm not outraged by pole dancers and top <laughs> and, and like strippers, right? Like strippers. I mean, there's strippers everywhere. There's pole dancers everywhere. And there's like, you know, you, there's bars and you can go to that all the time. In your like, own city right now. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't, it's not infuriating to me. I don't, I personally, it personally, I, I feel like it's, um, it's, it's exploitive mm-hmm. of even if they choose to do it, it's, I still think it's a exploitive kind of low level vibe. Sure. So well, it, I, that's yeah. just how it affects me, but I don't, I, that's what I noticed. And I noticed, okay, that's why it doesn't sit well with me, but to, to resort to shaming and then how dare you, and this is immoral and this is wrong. I mean, that, that's just, that's not helpful to anybody, you know? Well, see, I, I, Jamal, I think you're taking the, the, uh, mature approach. It's like, you're talking mm-hmm. about, this is how it makes me feel. I'm not comfortable with it. Therefore I'm guessing you're not going to go watch it. Sure. But, totally. And I, yeah. And, 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 and no, and, and that's, and I think that's totally fine. Like, and, and it's again, like, like Keith, like you, it's not, it's not, I don't listen to that type of music. Um, but yeah, the, the, the interesting thing is then some people seem to take that uncomfortability and then want those women to be ashamed mm-hmm. of themselves. Totally. And, and see, that's where, that's where the disconnect happens for me. It's like, like you just said, Jamal, that shame or that, uh, that shame they should feel right in our self-righteousness. Um, that's what I want them to feel because I'm uncomfortable. So therefore they should be uncomfortable right. with what they're doing. And that's where I, I see the, di- like there's a big disconnect on what's healthy and what's unhealthy. I'd say, I'd say Jamal and, and Keith, your, your point too, is that's a healthy view of something that's like, well, it's not my thing, but okay. Right. Um, yeah. 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 I think, I, my, my, my thought is that I think it's classic, just scapegoating when, when, yeah. when somebody is uncomfortable, they resort to, damn it. Who's making me feel this way? You know, it's <laughs> right. like, I, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. And so somebody's to blame. Let me attack. So that's what we do. We, yeah. we, that's how you do it. You go, well, oh, that person's affecting me. Now that commercial, those people, as opposed to sit, taking the time to go, okay, this is clearly making me uncomfortable. Why? And that, again, that's self-reflection. Self-awareness, right. yeah, can, right. which is important. But you know, here's you know? here's the irony. I agree with you, Jamal. But here's the irony uh, about that reaction. So you're right. So I see something; it makes me uncomfortable. And then the irony is, my solution to that is to make everybody else uncomfortable, and I want everyone now to conform to what makes me comfortable. Like I don't care. So th- in other words, I'm offended that you didn't think about me and how that would make me feel. Therefore, my solution is I want everybody to think about how I feel and just react and like respond the way in ways that make me comfortable. And that's one of my problems with, I think, sort of the Christian subculture is that it has, uh, for years I've seen this in, in the Christian subculture. Um, this is the reason why we create sort of the Christian version of the world. We want Christian skating rinks and Christian bowling alleys, and we want to get our Christian milk yeah. from a Christian cow. Why? Because it, it creates the illusion. We, we create a version of the world that's very Christianized. And, and why? Because it makes Christians comfortable. And it doesn't put them in situations where they have to, you know, relate to people that aren't exactly like them. And that really bothers me. I, I think that's that in itself is something that uh, I want to I want to um, 
you know, I, I want to put a spotlight on that and I want to say that's not the way we should be reacting. Yeah, it's like the bunker mentality. It's yep. like the Christian bomb shelter. Yeah. Like let's let's just build this so we can we can be protected Wait from all this stuff back out there. And save us and take us out of here. Yeah. But I do think honestly it's like you know, it, can we sit in the tension of something? Cause I don't think it's, you know, cause if somebody has a, if they're bothered, like if, if someone was like, I was just so offended by that halftime show, you know, what I would want to do if I was having a conversation with somebody that way, I would say, okay, I, I accept that. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't join in on, on the bashing, but I would say, okay, what, why do you feel this way? Like what's going on in you? What, what's this? And, and there may be some valid things there, you know, um, because people, there's just a lot of people that have been injured by uh, the sexualization of an objectification of people mm -hmm. in, in this country, in this culture. And I think that people are just sensitive to that, you know? Um, but I don't think we know how to do it without judging or condemning the culture as opposed to sitting with our own pain in it. Like, yeah, there's something, and you, you can train, I think you can transform a culture. You can transform a situation right. by sitting in it. And, and really being present with what's going on inside of you and, you know, scaling that inside of you, like you, you literally can, um, I actually, it, one of the things I loved about the Messiah. Okay. Again, we did the, just a little plug for what's coming up, you know, did an interview with the creator of the Messiah. One of the things I love about that show and about watching that character was his ability to do that. You know what I mean? Like he didn't. He never condemned anybody. And I actually think this is true to what I understand about the person of Jesus. But like that, remember that Keith, you watched the series. Oh, yeah. Remember when that yeah. prostitute came up and, you know, was trying to seduce him. Yes. I love there was that not thing. for uh. one moment, there was no shame or judgment oh, in yeah. it, but, but he's his ability to be present to her and even to like what's going on around without actually engaging in it. And getting sucked up into the, he was like that. Never, and I, when I read the gospels and I see how Jesus interacted with people and I see that quality of like, okay, like I'm here, I'm in it. I'm not like of it with you, but I'm not separate either. I'm in it. I'm with you. I'm here. And I think the ability for us to do that, even when we're like troubled in our spirit, and there were things that troubled Jesus. Clearly he was troubled in spirit. There were many times he would be troubled in spirit. And it would say that I'm, you know, troubled in spirit, you know, or his spirit was provoked. He would like, uh, he was feeling things deeply, but to do it without religious judgment or without withdrawing yourself is interesting. And I think it's the path forward. And I, because I think that what it does is it creates in our culture, the Christian bunker mentality where we judge and condemn. I think what that does is it push it. it it's like the thing, what you resist persists. It's a principle. Like when you start to resist something, you empower it. And I think there's a reaction in our culture to the whole Puritan, you know, ethos that's been <laughs> been with us for a couple hundred years that the culture is still trying to break free from. And I yeah. think there's just such a reaction to that. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and I mean, it, it reminds me of John uh, real quick, Keith. And then um, it reminds me of like John eight, where the, the woman, you know, is brought before Jesus and they're going to stone her um, for the adultery. And he doesn't shame her. No, he doesn't say he condones what she was doing. He said. He says, "Who condemns you of your sin? Well, neither neither than I, neither I, I won't either, basically, right? And so go and sin no more. That's it. No shame. Yep. Just okay. Just okay. No one's going to condemn you. No one's stoning you right now. No one's going to kill you. 
So I'm not I'm not going to do any of that. Yeah, so yeah. go go work on yourself, have some self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, and then yeah. And that, and that's it. Yeah, Jesus and I was going to say too, the the other thing I found fascinating about uh the way Jesus uh reacted, like his suggestion was like if if you're offended, right? If something offends you, um if your eye offends you because oh you're lusting after this person or whatever, um his suggestion is not go over there and tell that woman to put some clothes on. Just to stop. No, right. no. His his suggestion is, oh, if you're having trouble uh, because you're lusting after a woman, deal with your own issue. Like, recognize that, okay, you've got a problem with this. Why do you have a problem with this? Maybe you should, you know, find ways to deal with this in yourself, right? And so I, I honestly think that's much better advice. And unfortunately, Christians have taken the opposite advice, which is I'm offended and now I want to change everyone around me to to not... To, to be to conform to what I think is uh, right and good and normal, rather than saying, "Okay, yep, I guess I got a problem with that, and maybe I need to do, uh, take a step back and deal with that." Yeah, well, you got a, you got a problem. Pluck out your eye. You got a problem. Cut off your hand. You got a problem. Cut off your feet. It's about you. Yes, with the problem. Yes, go okay, work on well, yourself. Totally. One 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 thought I wanted to add here is, what if the fi- like if you don't if you want a fire to go out, you don't put you don't put fuel on it. You know, you don't put wood on it. Whatever. Yes clear i think one of the reasons that jesus could say to the woman caught in adultery go and sin no more is because the condemnation was gone and then now she's free to actually live a life where there's not this because i mean i don't think because the idea is like oh well there was she was being a po- the, the entire system of her day was literally against her in the sense of condemnation and she could not break free i don't think it was lack of information that was called like, I mean, she knew the law in the sense of like adultery was a sin quote unquote but he's like okay yeah you're free there's no condemnation anymore so i i imagine her life looked different after that from that point on i would imagine that that's just my understanding of it so what if the energy of the halftime show is actually being fueled by the judgment i think it was meant to be provocative Mm -hmm. but something can only be provocative if there's something to come against it and you take that energy away i mean Nobody's going to be, I mean, you know what I mean? I think that energy that even pr- produce my, my understanding is that the energy that produced the halftime show could not sustain itself if it was not provocative. It'd be boring. It'd be like, who cares? Right. I'm not even impressed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, there's got to be something to rebel against or push against or, or, uh, to create some sort of controversy. And if not, it, it's, it's salacious. Yeah. It's like, Oh, look at this. You know, they're shaking their, their body parts and like everybody's up in arms, you know, whether it's, this is what you take that away. Yeah. But this is the, this is the entire youth culture, right? Youth culture has always been about what will piss off your parents. That's what the movie I want to see. That's the music I want to listen to. That's how I'm going to shave my head or pierce my nose or ear or lip or whatever. Like, yeah, it's, it's always built around what's going to create the controversy. What's going to create the shock. Um, yeah, Yeah, of course. yeah. Yeah. So what's fucking fucking punk rock, man? Yeah, it's like it's like what if you take that energy away, it's done. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like you can transcend. It's like I'm yeah. Yeah. So no. So this is see you got it, Jamal. This is it. So look. So this is what I'm saying. So what if Christians instead of freaking out every time something like this happened, what if instead they did what Jesus said and they just dealt with their own reactions to it? And then they take all the energy out of that thing. They take the power away from it. It doesn't have any power anymore because no one's freaking out. Yeah. 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 There you go. We just saw. Um, um, thank you guys. What if? Another. Hey, perfect way. A perfect way to wrap up the culture <laughs> series with solving all these damn problems. I'm so glad we did that. Oh, finally. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the next series. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, 
So if you're listening to this and you, if this is your first time, go back, listen to the whole Culture Wars series, get excited for the metaphysical series. And in the meantime, go check out our website, heretichappyhour.com. We have a store over there. You can catch up on all the latest episodes. We've got some hilarious pillows. We've got great shirts. And uh, yeah, and we also have a Facebook group that you can join. So please do that. Just look us up on Facebook. You can look up the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, or you can look up Heresy After Hours. One, Heresy After Hours, you can join for free. Yeah. Heretic Happy Hour podcast. You got to be a Patreon supporter. Yeah, baby. Because that's, that's, that's where we chat to y'all. So uh, do that. Yeah. And like you said, uh, if you want to get in that amazing, awesome, private, members only Facebook group, Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group, uh, you can only do that by supporting us on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash Heretic Happy Hour. And, uh, and not only that, will you get into this amazing group, you will also unlock so much cool stuff, guys. We record bonus content, bonus interviews, bonus conversations. You only get to hear that cool extra bonus stuff if you are a member of the Patreon, uh, if you're a supporter of the Patreon uh, page. So go on, get over there, sign up, uh, unlock all that awesome stuff, jump in the Heritage Happy Hour Facebook group. And yes, we really are going to be putting out very soon a Slippery Slope board game uh, designed by our, our friend, friend of the podcast, David Hayward, the Naked Woo-hoo! Pastor. It's going to be awesome. Yes, sir. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, and also, um, you know, from time to time, sometimes uh, the listeners will, um, you know, want to have like deeper conversations and, you know, obviously do that in our, um, our bonus content on Patreon. But sometimes, you know, uh, for whatever reason, there we've had listeners that, that that have a desire to just have a private conversation with us, you know, the host here of the podcast. And um, so uh, I, sometimes we don't talk about that, but that is a that is a possibility for you if you're listening to this and you you feel like you want to have a uh, you know some, just a one on one conversation with us. We do private sessions uh, if that's something that you know as far as like wanting to talk to the three podcast hosts together. We, we do that. We just had one uh, recently and it was such a, mm. man, I don't know about you guys, man, but I tell you what, um, I was so blessed by that yeah. and just encouraged by that conversation we had with a listener. We just got to spend an hour with a listener and just dialoguing. And uh, if that's, if you're interested in that, um, you know, reach out to us um, and inquire about that. And we'll tell you some of the details that's involved in that and what, what that will take. But it, it is, um, yeah, that it was, a, that was a, we really appreciated that the other day. So, yeah. um, also we, I think we're on iTunes. Is that right? Um, mm. we're on iTunes. Now. I think we finally got on there. Yeah, right. on. Yep. So you can just, it, it really helps if you, if you would rate and review the, sh- the show on iTunes, it's pretty simple. You can do it right from your smartphone or, um, you just go to, you'd go there and give us the stars and write a positive review. No, 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 uh, negative reviews. Yeah, all five there stars. are some on there. All five stars. All five stars. Mm-hmm. Lots of reviews. Helps the show. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and if you want that private session, you find that at the store at the website. So go do that. Yeah.